Um, as we begin, I want to start with a verse, and it's a verse that I came across years ago, and I kind of lost track of it, and then in recent uh, months, uh, it came back to me, and I happen to love this verse a lot. And this is what it says. But as for me, the nearness of God is my good. And we're going to keep going back to that text, um, but I want to start off by helping you kind of learn this text. We're going to break it into three phrases, and I'm going to say the phrase, and then you echo it, and we're going to do it three times. Does that make sense? But as for me, the nearness of God is my good. We're going to be coming back to that often. The text actually reads this way, but as for me, the nearness of God is my good. I have made the Lord God my refuge that I may tell of all your works. Another version says it this way, and I love it. But the closer I am to you, my God, the better, because life with you is good. O Lord the Eternal, you keep me safe, and I will tell everyone what you have done. But as for me, the nearness of God is my good. Let's pray. Father, um, a lot of us came in with a lot on our tray, um, and what we really need to hear uh, is from you. And so help us to put the things that we're thinking about on the back burner. Help us to open up and hear what you might have to say to us. And Father, don't let me get in the way of what you want to say. I pray this in Christ's name. Amen. About 15 years ago, I received an email from my daughter-in-law. Her name is Kendall. And she married my son, Josh. And they were in the last year of Bible college at Moody Bible Institute in Chicago. And she knew that we were going through some difficulty. And she sent me an email. And she shared a story with me. And I want to share that with you. She said that this week in chapel, we spent three days on Psalm 73. This psalm is all about entering into nearness with the Lord. Verses 25 through 28 are especially powerful and have helped to alleviate my anxiety this past week. Our guest speaker was telling us about a friend that he had who had been recently kidnapped and killed, martyred in an abandoned bus in Colombia. And as he told the story, he would stop and pause as if trying to keep it together. It was obvious he still uh, was taking the loss hard and it weighed upon his heart. And he continued to tell us various aspects of the story. And then he paused for what seemed to be a long time, as if he was trying to choose just the exact words of what he wanted to say and to make sure that we heard it. And then he said this. If someday you find that you are about to be martyred, I want you to listen to me very closely. And she said, you know, we kind of were taken back. We're in this large auditorium there in Moody, and we're kind of looking at each other like, what the heck? This guy's going to tell us what to do if we're about to be killed. This is so weird. But she said at this point, he had the attention of everyone in the auditorium. And then he said, lay your head softly against the glass, close your eyes, take a deep breath, quiet your heart, and whisper these words, the nearness of God is my good. 
She said, I know this probably makes no sense, but after he said those words, you could hear, have heard a pin drop. And then, and then he paused, and then he went on to describe all the scenarios that one could experience in life. The loss of a parent, the loss of a child, finding out that you have cancer, being told it's inoperable, going through a divorce, loss of a job you loved, getting betrayed by what you thought was a close friend, abandonment from family. He said, you know, life is just so unpredictable, so when painful things happen in your life, things that you don't see coming, that break your heart, things that you don't think you'll ever be able to recover from, remember, lay your head softly against the glass. Close your eyes. Take a deep breath. Quiet your heart and whisper these words, the nearness of God is my good. Kendall went on to share a few verses with me from Psalm 73. That's the psalm we'll be talking about today. Whom have I in heaven but you? And besides you, I desire nothing on earth. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. But as for me, the nearness of God is my good, and I have made the Lord God my refuge, that I may tell of all your works. And then she wrote a couple notes to me, to me. And she said this, I am praying this passage over you right now. Why don't you stop and just think about that. She said to me, her father-in-law, I am praying this passage over you right now. I don't know where I found it, but I came across a reading and it said this, passing a blessing may be our truest work. We are charged with responsibility to remind each other that God loves us, God is for us, God welcomes us, and that we are not alone. We are to be uttering the words of Moses for one another on a constant basis. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. But this is what we are, if nothing else. We are to be a people who bless. One man said it this way, a kind gesture can reach a wound that only compassion can heal, and her words were a healing salve at that moment. My daughter-in-law said to me, I am praying this passage over you right now. Obviously, the Lord, she said, is drawing you near. He is the only one we can possibly run to. I envy the nearness you will experience in the upcoming days and weeks. And I pray that in the closeness of his presence, you experience genuine peace and rest. And I hope as well, you experience relief from anxiety and doubt and fear and stress and worry. But as for me, the nearness of God is my good. I want to tell you a story about a son, a dad, and a daughter. First of all, the son, his name is Josh. He was a 17-year-old senior at Duluth East High School, and on Sunday, March 29, 2009, 
he and his girlfriend Amy decided to spend that afternoon skiing for the skiing season was over and this would be their last day to be able to hit the slopes. And she was on the top of the hill watching Josh. Josh was a phenomenal skier and he liked to get everything he could out of every run that he took. So she loved to watch him and then she'd follow down. And he was about 100 yards from finishing his last run on the last day of skiing at Spirit Mountain. And suddenly things went terribly wrong. Josh tumbled, started spinning, was gaining speed and disappeared into the woods. They found him, he was unconscious, and when he finally came to in the hospital, the doctors told him the bad news. The fall had stolen the use of his legs, and the injury severed his back beyond, between vertebrae, leaving the lower two-thirds of his body paralyzed. At that time, Josh's father, Jeff Sorvik, was pastor of Duluth's Anchor Point Community Church. Classmates, friends, the community all rallied around Josh and his family. And just a few weeks into the ordeal, Pastor Jeff was asked to come and get an interview that they could put on the paper and on the TV, giving an update to everyone how Josh was doing. And when Jeff showed up for the interview, he was wearing a hat with a message that made it quite clear how they were dealing with this tragedy. The hat read, life is good. Jeff said, there is a full life ahead of for Josh, and this doesn't change that. We're working really hard to hang on to that. Living here and now in this world, there is good and bad, and we have an extra large dose of bad right now. But there's a lot of good in front of this kid. He's got a great heart and a great mind. And instead of focusing on what had been lost, the Sorig family were thankful that their son was alive and that the accident didn't injure his brain at all. Jeff said, all that really matters most about Josh is he's still 100% there. It's just the mechanical stuff that doesn't work. And then he paused and said this, we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him. That's a pretty powerful faith statement in a very difficult situation. Jeff said, something good is going to happen from this. This has cost us a lot. It has cost Josh a lot. And our response to God, he said with a smile, is it better be really good. Doctors told Josh and his family the injury was a permanent, and his family said, that's okay. We're still going to pray for a miracle. And Jeff said, we're praying that God will do more. Everybody needs a hope to hang on to. So say it again with me. But as for me... The nearness of God is my good. A couple months later, Jeff was always in contact with the community, telling and updating them how Josh was doing, and he did this through a social media blog that he had in place. And he wrote from Perkins, from a booth there, and he said this, he said, I'm waiting for Josh to call me and to see if he and Amy are ready to come home from prom. I'll have to say that he and Amy look great tonight. I know I'm biased, but they're such a sweet couple. And he said, today started out kind of hard. Josh pulled a, a muscle on his neck yesterday, and it gave him quite a bit of pain throughout the night, but that wasn't the hardest part. 
Ever since his accident, Josh has had a number of walking dreams, and they're hard on him. And when he wakes up, things haven't changed. Like last night's dream was particularly difficult. In his dream, Josh was sleeping, he woke up, and when he woke up, he discovered the feeling had returned to his legs, and carefully, he got off the bed and was able to get out of the bed and to walk around, and he was so excited that he was really healed. But you know the rest, and where this is going. He woke up again, this time out of the real dream and back into the real life. And there he was in bed with a terrible neck ache and no feeling in his legs. And he turned to me and he said, Dad, that, that was a cruel dream. Michelle, Jeff's wife and him, they had a pretty hard night that night as they dropped him off and headed back home. And he said, it may sound selfish, but this is not what we imagined for Josh and his life. Josh asked me, he said a couple days later, Dad, where does wisdom come from? And I asked him what he meant, and he said, you can tell the difference between wisdom when people talk about it, and it's obvious they don't know what they're talking about. It seems to me, Dad, that, that wisdom is kind of rare. And so they opened up the Bible, and they went to Proverbs 9:10, and the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. And he said to his son, having a true reverence and awe for God and his right to rule and reign in our lives is the starting place. But added to that is God's revelation of himself to us. And that is the foundation of truth. And he said, Psalm, he told us that Psalm 119 is a great place to start. And I also shared with him that wisdom is different than knowledge. For wisdom is born out of a lived experience with truth. Hebrews 11:14 14 says this, the knowledge, that knowledge goes deep when we put it into constant use in the everydayness of life. He said, I look at my son and what he's experiencing, and I say he's gonna be one pretty wise kid. Josh is experiencing the full range of emotions with God these days, all the way from very angry to very thankful. And he has been able to continue to trust that God is in control, that God is good, and God is worthy of honor. And on top of that, he has, pretty, has a pretty constant diet of truth these days. Sometimes God's word is the only hopeful thing he can grab onto. But every day my son finds himself having to live with those truths and to make them his own. Our entire family is being pushed into a deeper relation with the experience of living out truth even when it feels hollow or even when it is hard to accept. Say it again with me. But as for me, the nearness of God is my good. On February 14th, or 4th, 2017, I was here at the church. It was Saturday, a day just like today. And um, we're getting ready for this service. And I had a couple of friends coming down from Minneapolis. They had called and asked if they could come and meet with me before the service, if we could talk. And then he said, if it's all right with you, we'd like to go to the service, and then maybe we could take you and Yvonne out for supper. And that's what we did. But before that, we sat and talked. Yvonne was his speech coach when he was 15, and then he joined our youth group, and he came to Christ. 
And uh, he became a very, very special friend, him and his wife, Terry. And he's a legitimate rocket scientist, very smart guy. But as we sat there that day in my office, they wept and I cried. The reason they came down is they had just found out two or three days earlier that their oldest daughter had stage four brain cancer. And she just graduated from college and had an uh, opportunity to be a teacher down the road. And so we sat there, we talked for a long, long time. It was pretty hard. And in the middle of our conversation, my phone began to buzz, and I meant buzz, 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 and finally I said to him, I, I better check this. I'm gonna step out. So I stepped out and I looked at my text message. It was from my son, Aaron. And he said, Dad, did you hear what happened with Jeff Sorvik today? And I called him, and that's when I found out that Jeff, Josh's dad, had died in a house fire two hours earlier in that day. That was a hard day. Her name is Hannah. Hannah is Jeff's daughter. Hannah posted these words on September 14th, 2019, two and a half years after her dad had died in the fire. She wrote, last week was my family's annual camping trip up to the North Shore of Lake Superior. Every year, for as long as I can remember, we've gone to the same campground at the end of the summer. And I always felt like I could breathe much easier up there and have so many great memories up there. But since my dad's death, the North Shore has felt more like a scab. I itch to go there, but when I indulge the urge, I just end up bleeding. The house burned down, the land was sold, and now there is nowhere to go that is full of my dad's memory. Everything in their cabin, their log home they lived in, everything was gone except for what they were wearing that day. Everything minus this, and I'll explain that in a minute. And she writes, there's no items left that were his, there's no backyard where we played, there's no dining room where we had family dinners. The North Shore is probably the closest thing I have to be tangibly near him. It's one of the only places where I feel like I could turn around and my dad would still be standing there next to me. Like my dad is just out of reach, like a word on the tip of my tongue there and yet not there at all. A couple days after the trip, I got home from work and I was just so angry. Angry at the dirty dishes in the sink, angry at the medication I still have to take to function normally after my world imploded. Angry at the pile of laundry in the corner, the cats rubbing up against my black pants, the soap bottle that was empty in the shower, the dinner that I still had to make. But mostly, angry that my dad is dead. I walked through the doors and went straight down into the basement. I wrapped my hands with gauze. I put my boxing gloves on and I started to beat the crap out of the heavy bag that we have hunked down in there. And each time I punched with my right hand, I saw the edge of a tattoo peeking out from under my glove, a tattoo that I put on my wrist that says, it is well. If I could have punched that statement in the face, I would have. I'm not sure when I realized I was crying. The tears were so mixed in with the sweat 
But when my arms gave way, I sat on the concrete floor and I wept like I did the day my daddy died. I always feel like I should be further along by now. Like I should miss my dad less. Like I should be stronger, braver, more put together. Like grief is a weakness and joy should be easy. But it's not. And it isn't. Because the truth is, a lot of the time, it isn't easy to say it is well, and it sure doesn't feel like it is well. No, it is an intentional, every single dang day choice to claim that God is still good, even when my circumstances aren't. And it's a fight. Jesus said, in this world you will have trouble. Count on it. No one gets to go through life without taking some punches. And some of those injuries don't heal quick. And some don't heal at all. But know this, she says, the future will not disappoint. Every fighter, every soldier, every warrior is fighting not to win the round or the battle, but to win in the end. And dear friends, we do win in the end. Death, heartbreak, depression, hardship, hurt, disability, loss, worriedness, these do not get the final say. They don't even get the final hit. So say it again with me. But as for me, the nearness of God is my good. This is hard. A hard message. It's hard for me because I feel like I'm standing on holy ground. I know this family really well. In fact, this is one of their Christmas cards that they sent Yvonne and I. A nice, warm, fuzzy smile, not knowing what's about to happen in the next three years. And longer. And it's up at the North Shore where they always camp. Here's the deal. Every one of you here, every one of you here have a picture, postcard, probably somewhere of your family. And we look at them. Some of you have pictures all over your phone. And you look at them. But sometimes when you look at them, you look past them. You look at them and then you just kind of play the odds. The chances of it being me on the ski hill, the chances of it being me in the fire, the chances of it being for, for Hannah yeah, it's been a tough trip. Two weeks after the, the, her dad was buried, she lost her child. Three weeks after that, her mother-in-law got uh, some cancer and died within six weeks, and she was the caretaker. My son Aaron is also best friends with Jeff. He and his family drove straight up from Knoxville, Tennessee, we went to the memorial service, and then one day we went out to the cabin where Jeff died. I want you to understand something. Josh went on to college, got his degree, and they got a master's degree, and he's doing really well, and he got married, but they lived in the basement of that log cabin, and when the fire broke out, they, couldn't, they thought they heard their, his dad say something, and they pulled down this trap door that they had so they could go back and forth if they needed to, Smoke billowed, she, his, his wife got him out the back and they watched the house crumble knowing that his dad was there in the house. That was tough. 
we went out to the house and it was just Aaron and I, I think Yvonne and, and um, uh, Megan were with us and we, we wept. There was nothing left except this. And what happened is, and I don't know why I've got this, but this is for ice fishing and Jeff loved to ice fish. For some reason, this fell in the right place and the can fell on it. And it's the only, only thing the family has left was this. The memorial service was painful, but wonderful, but painful. A lot of different people spoke. People drove hours just to be there for the service. The thing that just broke my heart is all three kids spoke at their dad's funeral. And then Michelle spoke. The worship was incredible at the front and at the end. I talked to Michelle this week, and they're all in a good place. And God's been really, he's got three grandkids now in the family, and Josh is doing well. And Caleb, Caleb is another son, and he became a fireman with the the drive of wanting to find out what happened in the fire and why it went the way it did, and there's no answer. But he's still a fireman. And Hannah's doing well, married, great guy. But I was talking to Michelle and just catching up, and we laughed a lot. We really did. We, we laughed a lot and, um, and cried a lot on the phone. But she goes, the thing that was really hard for me in that verse, Greg, is this, is that word good. And every time I would read that verse, it, would, would, it was like a scab, it, just, it rubbed me wrong until I realized there's a word that really is, is there, but it's not there, but it's true. Is that God is intrinsically good. He can do no other. And he, she said, you know, Jeff and I, when Josh's accident happened, we. We really, we really struggled. We fought all the time on this sovereignty of God piece. And um, she goes, I'm in a good place with that. And God's been incredibly good to my family, and I'm grateful. Listen, life happens. <clears throat> and I hope it's not your postcard someday that's missing somebody in it, or they're in a wheelchair or a relationship is broken up, those things happen, and that's when you need to stay. But as for me, the nearness, the nearness of God is good. I'm gonna ask the prayer team to come up in just a moment, and we're just gonna pray, and let's just stand. Father, I just wanna say this, that there are so many things that happen in life that we cannot control. We do not know what's coming around the next bend. We do not know what that, that situation is in the medical hospital and we're going back for tests. We don't know where that's going to go. We are not sure how our kids are going to come out. We don't know how this marriage relationship will make a distance. But what we do know, God, is that you are indeed good. And when we have no words, we lean into you and your words because that's where the hope and the healing, that's where it's at. 
So God, help us to lean into you. And we trust you to take care of us because we belong to you. And we pray this in Christ's name, amen. If you'd like somebody to pray for you, there's gonna be a team up here praying. Great, have a great weekend.